Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. We're here every Saturday, as we have been for decades, defending government schools, defending public education, because that's something that needs to be done in the current political and social climate. Public schools are under the pump, public schools are being attacked, and we are here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial to defend public schools because they are the schools that service all of the community and you're listening to 3 Community Radio, which is why we're here. It's lovely to have your company. It's been a very interesting week, um, actually a very interesting couple of weeks in the education debate. There's been some quite significant local issues to do with the way the education system in Australia services um, our class system. Now, mentioning a class system and class envy and class whatever it is is often something you don't usually do in the Australian polity, so, but... It has been brought to the attention of the good citizens of Victoria in particular because of what's been happening um, out at Xavier College, and we'll be investigating that in some detail. But before we do that, it is traditional here on the Dogs Program for you, the listeners, to find out about what we're all about because we have press releases. Press releases every week. We've got a couple this week, actually. Jean, who's normally here on the radio program, um, likes to let people know what it is that we, the dogs, have as views and put forward and today uh, it's just myself and Dale in the studio so Dale can you let us know what's going on in terms of our press releases for the public of Australia. Great thanks very much Rob yes I've got the press release here from the dogs website which is www.adogs.info that's dub 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 adogs.info and uh, yes, this is press release number 626 The Harper Report, The GST and Privatisation of Public Education Dogs urge supporters of public education to join the dots in recent talk fests on tax taxation reform and the final report of the Harper Review extension of the GST removal of inefficient state taxes, free trade agreements and the replacement of confrontational Abbott with smooth-talking, consultive Turnbull. The Competition Policy Review, otherwise known as the Harper Review's final report, was released on the 31st of March 2015 and the review has concluded... These recommendations are broadly accepted by the Turnbull government and promoted by Treasurer Scott Morrison. See the final report of the Harper Review. 
There's no place for a public education system or any public human service established for all children for the common good of a commonwealth in the Harper Review mindset. Education is merely a market service. For example, draft recommendation two on human services. Each Australian government should adopt choice and competition principles in the domain of human services. Guiding principles should include user choice should be placed at the heart of service delivery. Governments should retain a stewardship function separating the interests of policy, including funding, regulation and service delivery. Governments commissioning human services should do so carefully with a clear focus on outcomes. The diversity of providers should be encouraged while taking care not to crowd out community and volunteer services. Innovation in service provision should be stimulated while ensuring minimum standards of quality and access in human service. On October 3rd, fresh from a reform meeting in Canberra, Treasurer Scott Morrison indicated that the Harper Review was on the agenda and given the government is now prepared to put all tax concessions on the table, then it's only fair that the government also looks at all spending, including welfare, to ensure that two is fit for for purpose. To be a beneficiary... You've got to be a participant, he told AFR Weekend. Mr Morrison said health and education were fast-growing areas of the economy and pivotal to jobs and growth. He said he would not be pressuring the states to adopt change but encouraging them to do so. Mr Morrison's form of encouragement is to tie GST revenue, or any Commonwealth revenue for that matter, through Section 96 Specific Purpose Grants, to the privatisation and marketing of education. In recent weeks, however, the Australian taxpayers are being snowed by all sections of the media with phony hype about the need for a 15% GST if we're going to provide education and health services for our population, forgetting for the moment that services are part of free trade agreements that sell our children's educational birthright to the open global market. The evidence for this? A report on the advice of Dr Alan Fells, the man the Australian calls the former competition czar, Alan Fells. He has urged Malcolm Turnbull to link competition reform to any overhaul of the GST to ensure states meet new performance benchmarks in return for larger revenues. Professor Fells said an overhaul of the GST could help to ease the political pain of realising the recommendations of the sweeping Harper Review of Competition Policy. Under the plan, states would be required to pass new hurdles in economic and social management to receive their share of a larger GST take. It gets worse. The second factor is that the Commonwealth does not want to hand over GST revenue to the states without guarantees of much better state performance in economical and social management. Such as approach, such an approach is made more practical by the elevation of competition policy to the Treasury portfolio under Scott Morrison, who has embraced the need to lift productivity by tackling competition policy. 
Professor Fells, a former head of the Australian Competition and Consumer Commission, said the introduction of greater choice and competition into health and education would bring considerable benefits to the economy and society. He warned that opening the public education and health systems to greater competition could prove more politically difficult than the flirtation with GP co-payments or university fee deregulation. The problem he the problems the government faced in trying to introduce co-payments and even in university deregulation are pale insignificant compared with these challenges, he said. Professor Harper has urged the government to respond to his review before the end of the year and warned that failure to take action would result in declining living standards and annual productivity growth of just 1%. The actual terms of the free trade agreement has recently been made available. We've been told that the sale of our services on the global market are expected to replace the commodities boom. Careful research is required. Dogs encourage public school supporters to call the Turnbull government to account for proper accountability for provision of a first-rate public education paid for with our taxes for every child. Our national and our, and our children's birthright should not be the plaything of, politi- of politicians singing the hymn to choice and competition at the altar of global profits for multinational corporations. Yeah, thank you very much, Dar. I think what Jean is saying there in that press release, and I think it's a very important um, I think it's a very important point of view and I think it's important that someone like 3CR brings it to the attention of the public mm. is that now we signed a TPP, mm. that means that we as a country have to open up our education market to an international market that wishes to come as a bunch of businesses who are there to make profit for their shareholders who want to come to the Australian education place, Australia with all the schools, and make money. If it is that our legislation and our government say, no, you can't do that, um, they will actually be in a position where they can be taken to court for restraint of trade. This, this, this has already happened um, in the NAFTA agreements, and this is what the TPP is all about. To open up our education marketplace, and I actually just take pause to think about those two words being put in the same sentence, but to, 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 to open up our education marketplace... Um, to international competition, Fels is saying, is a good thing because competition is always good. But the problem is, of course, that now the federal government is using this as a big stick to beat the states, saying, well, unless you open up your education marketplace, inverted commas, then we're not going to be giving you as much revenue, so they're going to force the states to do this. Now, they can't do this in political terms in an active way, but if they can do it through the back door, I'm sure federal politicians will be likely to do this because the states can complain, if they wish to, that they're not getting enough money to educate the children that are in their states. But the federal government say, well, we would give you the money if only you were more efficient. We would give you the money if only you would open up your marketplace more than you have already. Now, this whole debate, I just think, is, is, it's, it's mind-bogglingly stupid. There are so few countries in the world that play with the education of the children of the nation in such a fast and loose and open competitive way um, because it's just a silly thing to do. 
Education and the marketplace do not go together. They have not gone together and they will not go together unless, of course, you want to de-educate your population, mm. which is, seems to be what Australia is doing. And there's a lot of evidence to suggest this. I'm, I'm not speaking through my hat here. Mm. Here on the Dogs Programme, we've highlighted again and again and again how introducing marketplace principles to an education environment does not benefit the students, does not benefit the schools, does not indeed, in the end, benefit the parents, even though those parents who think if they've got enough money they can buy their way out of the problem. In the end, the whole education system suffers, and so what you end up buying is devalued in any case. And this, of course, is completely separate to the social issues that you create when you have a, an apartheid education system based upon parental income, which is exactly what we have here in Australia. Now, I'm not talking any radical talk. I'm just highlighting exactly what is going on, and I'm not out on a limb. There's a lot of people that agree with me. Now, we'll be back after these few messages um, to have an in-depth discussion about class system in Australia, which has popped up recently in Victoria as a very real issue. Um, it's often, not often you get things that you can talk about the class system with <laughs> openly to a broad audience, but this is a fascinating um, example of entitlement being played, played out in the public forum by... The comments of just one poor, I would say misguided, and I would say at the moment unfortunate, student from Xavier College. La Voce della Luna, Melbourne's iconic Italian women's choir, launches their newest CD. 8pm Saturday the 14th of November at 1 Mark Street, North Fitzroy. For bookings, boite.com.au or 94171983. The Boite, proud to support 3CR. La Voce della Luna, Saturday the 14th of November, 8pm. Celebrate Soteria Bellu, loved for her deep-voiced, passionate Rebetica singing. At 7.30pm on Friday, November the 13th, Box Hill Community Arts Centre, 470 Station Street, Box Hill. Bookings, boite.com.au or 94171983. The Boit is a 3CR supporter. Soteria Bellu, Friday the 13th of November, 7.30pm. Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. Um, I'm just going to read now from a press release. It's the Dogs Press Release, number 625, entitled Elites and Povos. Now, povo, there's a word, povo. Uh, for those people who don't understand it, and I'm sure there's many, it's an old-fashioned word. Povo is an Australian slang word for poor people. Poverty-stricken. Poverty-stricken people. And it's been used in a very particular context because, as this, um, as this press release outlines, private schools in Australia are not about the freedom to give children a Christian or any other religious education. Remember those mythical, poor parish Catholic schools of the 1960s, if you were around then? And the wealthy religious schools that cashed in on what happened in Australia in the 80s and 90s, which was 
can collectively be described as the needs policy. Now, schools that select and reject children are not and cannot ever be about the production of Christian gentlemen. They are about elitism, privilege and class distinction. Everyone knows about this, but public school parents are in fact the canny ones. They are in fact one step ahead, knowing that public schools give their children a realistic and rounded education. Aristocratic pretensions might begin at home, but they are fostered by a selective school system. Some feel so confident that they are prepared to in fact be brutally frank about this. Now, a woman called Zara, who was a private school parent, rang up on 3AW, the Neil, the Neil Mitchell program, uh, which happens through the week, if you're bothered listening to that and not listening to 3CR, onto a talk program. And what she said broke the internet. <laughs> Zara said, and I quote, I'm surprised, she said, that you, Neil Mitchell, are so naive. Half the reason we send our children to private schools is to make them part of an elite group. Obviously, they are more privileged, and it gets them through life realising that they are more privileged. Now, Zara says that she is quite happy for her children to walk around with their noses in the air, and they will always have money. That is our job as parents, she says. I don't want my children to be factory workers. Now, when Neil Mitchell pointed out that someone had to work in the bloody factory, she responded... Well, that's right, but it's not going to be my children, she said. Now, when questioned, when questioned about what would happen if either she or her children might not have enough money at some point in the future, she replied, we will always have money. That is why we work hard. Now, dogs pity any of her children, <laughs> which I know is quite patronising, but on, on that short excerpt from a radio, show, uh, radio program... I'm inclined to agree. And I would pity her children if they do not live up to her expectations. But it should be noticed that the 3OW talkback conversation took place in the context of a very revealing internet spat between privileged Xavier College VCE students and public school students. Now, the night before the VCE English exam last week, one Xavier student called the state school students on a Facebook page, Povo and a word I can't use here on 3CR, but it ends with, ends with S and it starts with an F. Um, and this was done on a popular VCE discussion page mm. on Facebook. So this is a public forum. Public. No, no one's broken into his account. He's whacked this comment that, that all the state school students are Povo F dot 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 S. everyone can access. Yes, that's right. Now, this 18-year-old said that he was eternally grateful that his parents had sent him to a good private school instead of a poverty-stricken, um, another word I can't say on radio, um, in Pakenham. Now, people often say to send your kids to private schools is not worth it, he comments, but when I read that you povo f dot 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 post on this page, I'm eternally grateful to my parents for sending me to Xavier. He goes on to say, you give me hope because I know there are so many more retards like you out there that I will easily beat you tomorrow in the exam and over the next two weeks. I hope you all 
f dot 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 up really bad so I can see your posts tomorrow. He signed off this post by saying, remember to say hi to me when I'm your boss one day. Now, girls who replied to the post reportedly were told to shut up and let the men handle the business. Not only did this public school student vigorously defend their education, one even took a red pen to the Xavier College's students' comments, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I thought was highly amusing. And um, if you can go on the WWWs and Google Xavier Students Rant, I'm sure you'll find uh, the posting of how a very good and grammatically correct state school student has corrected his grammar and given him a mark of D+. Plus with the comments at the end saying, please take more time to proofread next time and have some decency too, please. See me after class. (laughs) Now, this is a fascinating exchange. Now, I'm not going to use the name of the student involved because I don't think that's fair because this particular student is reflecting an attitude and it's a generational attitude. It's an attitude that if you'd come out with that attitude in the days before the internet in public as a private school student, in a pub or down a club, um, you'd find yourself in trouble because it's, in fact, the opposite of egalitarian. Now, in comments to this, and it's a very interesting article written by Julie Zegger, who's one of the um, educational commentators on the Fairfax website. And she responds to this, and I think it's good to get her response because I think here at the Dog will respond quite well to this too. Uh, She responded to an article entitled Xavier Snob's Bullying Contained Uncomfortable Truths About Our Education System. And I think, because I've been talking for a bit, it might be a good idea to get Dale to let us know what Julie says, because I think it's a very revealing um, article about what's exactly going on here. Thanks, Rob. Yes, the article here is entitled uh, Xavier Snobs Bullying Contained Uncomfortable Truths About Our Education System and it's from The Age on the 5th of November. We should feel indebted to the Xavier student who last week slagged off his public school counterparts on a VCE Facebook page. Sure, his sledging of state school kids as retarded and povo Fs remember to say hi to me when I'm your boss, was so obnoxious, bullying, sneering and contemptuous that at first I wondered if he was taking the piss. But his bile also contained a timely and uncomfortable truth about an inequitable education system and the mainstreaming of class prejudice out of the mouths of teens. The episode leaves a sour taste because it exposes the pious hypocrisy of adults who censured the lad for expressing an elitist view they harbour themselves. It is a view to which political leaders of both major parties have pandered, running down public education both financially and rhetorically in an approach that distinguishes Australia as moronically self-defeating, especially illuminating the boy's remark that he was eternally grateful his parents had sent him to a good private school instead of a poverty-stricken s-hole in Pakenham. One feature of our 
sensorial times is that we avoid meaningful discussion of various social problems for fear of stigmatising disadvantaged groups. I'm guessing this is why some media reports omitted the reference to Pakenham from the student's slanderous quote. Yet his reference is an apt one for exploring a broken and segregated system. Pakenham Secondary College on Melbourne's fast-growing southeast fringe draws 52% of its students from the lowest socioeconomic bracket and only 3% from the highest. According, according to the My School website, in 2013 the school's net recurrent income amounted to $11,036 per student. Its total capital expenditure was $74,741. In the same year, 35% of students landed in university, another 23% at TAFE or in vocational education, and 27% in employment, which the gut says is a reasonable outcome, all things considered. Xavier College, which charges more than $20,000 in fees for senior students, has 71% of families from the top socioeconomic grouping and only 1% from the bottom. Two years ago, the school's net recurrent income was $24,870 per student. Its total capital expenditure was $1.9 million. Of its 2013 graduates, 80% gained entry to university 6% went to TAFE or an equivalent, and 2% obtained jobs. Any number of schools match the profiles of Pakenham Secondary and Xavier. In each case, it's clear that, in relative terms, the public school is indeed poverty-stricken, with its alumni statistically more likely to end up as workers than the bosses. Public schools generally are in danger of becoming options of last resort, populated with families too poor to go elsewhere and at risk of a downward spiral of underperformance. While complacent teachers and a stale educational ethos might contribute to the downward spiral, the playing field is hardly level when governments keep awarding unfair advantage to the Xaviers at the expense of the Pakenhams. As we know, they do this chiefly by giving taxpayer dollars to wealthy private schools, enabling them to boost their appeal with flashy performing arts centres and so on, even as they continue to hike their fees. Even the Gonski needs-based school funding model was introduced by Labor with an assurance that no school would be worse off under the new formula. And Victoria's Labor government similarly blocked in funding for private schools irrespective of their financial need. So, to properly resource the Pakenhams, it seems our governments must keep throwing money at the Xaviers. Hardly su surprising that the Xavier schoolboy has such a highly developed sense of entitlement. For all the private schools touting of their values, this is a sector with an outsized sense of entitlement to the public purse. The spoilt brat governments keep indulging to our collective detriment. The politicians even help out with sledging. John Howard famously derided state schools as politically correct and values neutral, 
A curious contradiction as political correctness entails slavish adherence to values. But anyway, last month, Bill Shorten chose the debate around penalty rates to implicitly affirm private schools as the good choice for hardworking families. For people on $40,000 and $50,000 and $60,000 a year, said the leader of a party that's supposedly about equal opportunity, penalty rates are the difference as to whether or not they can afford to send their kids to a private school. Shorten later clarified his comments as referring to low-fee Catholic schools in his electorate and not elite schools such as his alma mater, Xavier. Fine, except that (laughs) at no point in his carefully scripted speech did he say this. Meanwhile, the Turnbull government's new education minister, Simon Birmingham, used his maiden parliamentary speech in 2007 to advocate for a US-style voucher system. This involves giving low-income students funding that follows them to whatever school their parents choose. Birmingham said this system should be trialled even if, the, if it results in yet more families leaving public schools. He asked, why should only wealthier families have the option of voting with their feet to desert a bureaucratised government sector for a responsive private one? The public is also entitled to ask why so many of our leaders are so keen to divest themselves of responsibility for our children's schooling, so willing to imperil our future prosperity by sinking our money into a system that entrenches povo schools. I'm prepared to give the Education Minister the benefit of the doubt and attribute his thought bubble to youthful exuberance. His boss, Malcolm Turnbull, has indicated that in contrast to his predecessor, he might commit to the last two years of funding under the Gonski model. It's an imperfect model, but the best hope we currently have of becoming the innovative nation Turnbull envisages. In the meantime, castigating the teenage private school snob is simply shooting the messenger. Indeed. Yes, thank you very much. We'll be returning with more extensions of these issues because, I mean, from what Dale's saying and what Jill's saying, um, the system is stuffed. <laughs> it really is. And it's for a very fundamental reason. There's two things going on. The first one is this. Every time you take a dollar and you give it to a child in Pakenham Secondary College or you give it a dollar to a child in a state school anywhere in Australia, the government has to find a dollar to give to a child in a private school. Now, that could be Xavier or that Why? could be the local Catholics. That's just the way it is. Why? Why is the question? Is that a waste? Yes. Why are Australians so stupid to see this happen again and again and many of them to be quite happy. And I'm actually willing to explain why because there is a reason. In fact, there's two reasons. One is about breeding because if you want to talk about sort of bunyip aristocracies or Mm -hmm. anistocracies or class, class is bred. Mm. Class takes generations. And state aid has been going on in Australia now for more than three generations, ever since Whitlam was responsible for it largely taking place, although Menzies did some work before then. There have been generations of breeding going on, and the education system has fostered this. But I think we'll discuss this in detail after a little bit of music. Yes, yeah, a little bit of music.
Welcome back to the Dogs Program on 3CR 855 on the AM dial and indeed podcast. Yes, we've been sort of playing with ideas of a poor Xavier student um, who got up there and said it like it is. Mm. I is rich, I has got stuff, you is poor, you ain't got stuff, that's the way it is, that's the way it's always going to be. Mm. Now that's your classic class warfare. And I was explaining, or promising to explain, why that actually exists in Australia. Well, there's two reasons. The first reason is really quite simple. It relates to a generation, one, two, three generations who've grown up with this. There's an old saying, if you want to go into a country or a culture or a society and you want to find out where the corruption lies, you go to an aspirational middle-class dinner party and find out what they're not going to talk about. (laughs) You know... If you go to a dictatorship, you know, they're not going to talk about the various girlfriends and picadillos as a dictator. That's something you just don't do at an aspirational middle class <laughs> dinner party in a dictatorship because if you want to get ahead, that's not what you talk about. In Australia, you go to an aspirational middle class dinner party, you don't talk about you don't talk about private schooling. You don't talk about how the funds are allocated because you'll get some very defensive people who start talking about the values of their family and their children. And quite frankly, um, it's a very difficult and complex conversation. I mean, it used to be that you couldn't talk about, what was it? Religion and politics. Religion and politics. Yeah, in Australia in particular, you don't talk about private schooling and the privilege that accrues through it because there are a large number of aspirational people which are benefiting significantly from this situation. I know it's, a, it's, a, it's not a very nice thing to say and um, it does tend to get quite personal in those sort of aspirational dinner parties. I can't say I go to that many of them, but whenever I do, um, I don't necessarily say that I work here at 3CR for the Dogs Program because, <laughs> because um, yes, I won't be invited back again. In fact, I did a couple of times and mm-hmm. I wasn't invited back. Well, look, can I just – just my two cents as someone who's who will never attend a dinner party like that. It affects me on a very personal level when it – comes down to the value of a life and how our society perceives life and what we're teaching our what what we teach our children value is mm. and um you know and it becomes very obvious when one life is valued more than another purely because of its uh, socioeconomic uh, yeah. background a value of a child's education in australia is tied like really tightly tied to how much that child's parents earn. Mm. Now, it doesn't actually have to be this way. And most countries around the world in the OECD realise that to do this, to, to, to make the very strong connection between how rich a child's parents are and how good an education they get is actually not very good for the country. It's not very good for the nation. It's not very good for the society. It's not very good for their community. It's not very good for their street. It's not very good for people. If the one thing that in the 21st century is important to a human being, which is their education and their ability to deal with an increasingly complex world... The tools with which to navigate this society that the the governing apparatus creates for you to navigate. And especially in a country like Australia where we like to talk about ourselves as free (laughs) and democratic. (laughs) But that's one reason. There is another Um, There is another reason why this happens. There is another reason why you have entrenched in generational privilege. And it's it's, it's a reason that we often highlight here on the Dolls Prairie, but I think it's worth pointing out in a very interesting article written quite substantially earlier this year by a fellow called Ross Gittens, who's an an economist, and, and he wrote an article for the Sydney Morning Herald. 
and he states quite boldly that in election campaigns, um, it's always a busy time for interest groups. Now, this uh, this article was written before the New South Wales election and indeed before the Victorian election, the state elections that we had in those two states. Ross Giddens says... Um, election campaigns turn up the pressure on governments and oppositions to give them to give written promises to interest groups to grant those interest groups specific and particular benefits, or not to do things that the interest groups don't fancy during their next term in office. <laughs> it's surprising how often pollies give in to such tactics. They do so for fear that the interest groups will campaign against them if they don't toe the line. Mm. Indeed, in the last federal election, for instance, the banks and other financial institutions got the Labor government to promise not to make any more adverse changes to the taxation on superannuation for five years, and then persuaded the coalition to match Labor's promise during its first term. Now, a lot of promises have been broken since then, but that's not one of them. (laughs) Now, historically, a few groups have pursued this tactic more successfully than Catholic systemic schools. If you were a poly, which, which would you choose? Risk being preached against on Sunday before the election day or be photographed with a beaming archbishop as you sign the deal to do what they want? Now, recognising the Catholics' superior bargaining power, other religious and independent schools tend to ride on their coattails. Now, in, oh, I think it was February this year, The Catholic Education Commission announced that the New South Wales election campaign, the Catholic Education Commission would, and I quote, play an advocacy role in the interests of students, parents and teachers in the Catholic education sector. They say that it's a key policy issue and in light of the expected growth in the number of school children, that is the number of kids in Australia, the state government must increase its capital funding to Catholic schools to help Catholic schools enrol their share of this growth. Now, in 2014, we're told, the state of New South Wales' 584 Catholic schools educated 21% of the state's students, but apparently received only 2% of the New South Wales government's capital funding for schools. Now, we'll come back to that figure. New South Wales government must first reverse its 2012 decision to cap capital funding to non-government schools at $11 million per year and put in place a sustainable, long-term funding framework that grows as enrolments increase. The Commission's Executive Director up in New South Wales, Brian Cloak, said. Now, the Catholic schools' share of the $11 million um, was $7.6 million, which was equivalent to about $30 per student, while government schools received more than $399 billion or $524 per student. So, looking at these figures, you go, well, the state school kids are doing very well out of this capital expenditure breakup. Now, the state government's forecast is that all New South Wales schools will need to accommodate an extra quarter of a million students by 2031 and from the proportion of students in Catholic schools to remain unchanged. Catholic schools will need to create places for about 60,000 students and the equivalent of more than about 2,300 new classrooms. Now, Ross Gitton says, sorry, this argument needs thinking about. For one thing, the Catholic school campaigners don't mention that non-government schools also receive capital funding from the federal government, which is a lot more generous than the state grants. For another, it's hardly surprising the state government spends a lot more on building equipment of state schools than it does on subsidising other people's schools. 
Now, where do taxpayers' obligations to Catholic and other non-government schools actually end, asks Ross Giddens. Governments have an obligation to provide a growing student population, but do they have an obligation to ensure Catholics or any other non-government school share of the school's population doesn't decline as population grows? Now, for religious or other groups to say that they have school facilities that they wish to make available for the education of kids, by the way, kids for their, of their own choosing in locations of their own choosing is one thing. But for those groups to argue governments have an obligation to subsidise their provision of additional facilities so their share of the overall school population doesn't drop is quite another. Now, who's to say those non-government schools will want to build their additional facilities in those locations where the population growth occurs? If the group wants to build in areas other than those of the fastest growth, which these days would include the inner city, are taxpayers obliged to still cough up subsidies while also building the new schools where they're actually needed? Mm. <laughs> and is it reasonable to demand that taxpayers provide big subsidies towards the building of new facilities that remain the priority of the churches or indeed other groups involved? Now, the Catholics argue that their building of new facilities has been and will continue to be largely funded by parents. So the church itself doesn't put up much money, but gets to retain the ownership of the schools while the parents move on. When it comes to real estate, I wouldn't have thought that mainstream churches were all that property poor. Now, federal grants come with the proviso that should the subsidised school facilities be sold or used for another purpose within the first 20 years, the government may ask for the grant to be repaid. How often this provision is enforced, Ross Gittens doesn't know, but I do. The answer is never. Mm. Now, we've long been asked to believe that non-government schools are doing taxpayers a favour, providing education to kids that taxpayers would otherwise have to pay for. But this demand for capital grants is aimed at reducing the size of the favour. When it comes to recurrent funding, the favour isn't all that great. Federal and state grants together covered almost three-quarters of the cost of running Catholic schools in 2012. Fees charged to parents covered another 22%. Now, while the election in New South Wales has been and gone, this whole process of the religious lobby groups putting enormous political pressure on politicians and governments to maintain the privilege that they have, um, and when I say privilege, I'm not, I'm not betting around the bush. Every religiously run private school in Australia is specifically exempt from the anti-discrimination laws of this country. They can hire and fire, they can kick kids out, they can enrol kids on the basis of exactly what they want to do. They can kick out gay kids, they can kick out black kids, they can kick out any child, any child for any reason they like because they are specifically exempt from the laws of the country while receiving taxpayers' money to do so. And this has lots of implications, which we've spoken about on the DOGS program many, many times. But these are the two basic reasons why we have the development of what some people will call privilege, some people will call entitlement, and other people will call an aristocracy through our education system. The first reason is it's been generational. The second reason is it is in the interests of the religious lobbies to create education systems whose point of difference is not just religion, 
but privilege itself. Now, you've listened to the Dogs Programme here on 3CR, 855 on the AMDR. We've got so much to get through in this programme. We've only got an hour, my goodness. But we'll be returning with more issues, views and reviews of what's going on after these messages. On Sunday the 15th of November, join in on Music from the Wetlands 2015, beginning with the Music March down Yarralea Street, Alfington at 11.45am. Make your way to the Wetlands at One View Street, Alfington for a smorgasbord of local and national musicians, great food and drinks and displays from more than a dozen community and environment groups. Activities for all, including circus skills, crafts and kids' own publishing. For more information, visit www.musicfromthewetlands.com.au or the 3CR community calendar. Music from the Wetlands is a 3CR supporter. Reclaim Australia and the United Patriots Front are at it again, and they're still using Islamophobia to divide us. Next, they'll blame Unionists, First Nations people, women, LGBTIQA people, people of colour, the list goes on. They've organised another rally to promote their hate speech and we're going to stop them. Rally on Sunday, November 22nd to remind these thugs that they'll always lose in Melbourne. For more information and to get details on the rally, text subscribe to 0422 726 843. The campaign against racism and fascism is a 3CR supporter. Workers United, never be defeated. Workers United, will overcome. For three years, teachers have had their qualifications, their pay, their pensions, and their working conditions attacked relentlessly by this government. I'm a proud product of a government funded primary school education and of a government-funded secondary school education. Australia is one of the richest and luckiest countries in the world and there's no reason whatsoever why we can't have the very best public schools in the world. It's simply not good enough that kids with disability miss out. Our education is not for profit. Our education is not for profit. You're listening to The Dogs, the defence of government schools on 3CR. Welcome back to the Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM Dial. Dogs, that is defence of government schools. And some interesting messages there. I hope you're listening. Um, I'm going to respond directly to an inquiry that's been made of the Dogs Program in the last mm, seven days. It's an inquiry from a listener. And they have, and I'll, I'll paraphrase what, what they've said, but this is an, an anonymous listener who's contacted uh, 3CR and contacted the Dogs Program, and they've made what I consider to be a fair and reasonable point. And the point is that because we're discussing the funding of schools, this listener is interested in why we at the Dogs fail to say that the cost of funding public schools is huge compared to what private schools receive. Now, the implication of this, um, in, in terms of the Catholic sector, which they, which they mentioned specifically, um, is that giving money to Catholic schools to educate children saves the state money. Um, and they say that we never point this out on the program and that we should to add balance. 
Now, to our anonymous listener, I, I say thank you very much for your question. And I don't say that in a sort of facetious Q&A kind of way, because often you have people say, thank you for your question. No, seriously, thank you for your question. Um, if you have been listening to the program over the, the weeks and months, you, you, you will probably understand that we have addressed this issue. And I think in part we have addressed this issue on, on this program today. Um, we do not mention that the difference between funding a child in a state school and funding a child in a private school, we do not mention that there is a big difference in the amount of money required in funding those two children in those two school systems because there isn't one. Um, since Certainly since John Howard introduced the SES model of school funding in 2001, and the basic principle of that is that private schools at that point would lose no money and Julia Gillard, when she sent up the Gonski Review, as was mentioned in our press release earlier, said that in reviewing the funding of education, private schools will lose no money. Now, state school funding has been increasing um, slightly, and in fact, some cases going behind from 2001 to 2015. But the increase in funding for private schools over the same period of time from 2001 to now has increased by a very significant percentage. Certainly in terms of the Catholic se uh, sector, between 20 and 30% by various studies. So that at this point in time, in 2015 in Australia, if you are sending your child to a local primary school, there's a very good chance the amount of money that will be spent by the government on your child is between, and it depends on the school, is between eleven dollars and $14,000 per annum for your child. Now, that varies because certain schools are in areas that are of greater disadvantage and in a, in, in a sort of remedial way, there's a little bit more money that goes into that. If you send your child to the Catholic school down the road, a little, you know, lovely, beautiful teachers, lovely, lovely parents, lovely artwork on the walls, lovely Catholic school, lovely kids. The amount of money that those children will be receiving from the government will either be the same or in many, many cases, as we have documented on this show, in many, many cases, more. Because it, the government has set themselves up in a situation, they have been lobbied by religious groups over the years, and they've responded to that lobbying by making sure that the private religious education sector has never received a dip in funding over that time and in many cases has received dramatic increases. And you go, well, how can that possibly happen? That can't possibly be true. Well, I suggest to anyone who wants to research this, there's a very large number of articles that suggest this. People often talk about capital expenditure and recurrent funding from federal and state um, governments separately. You have to put it all together. You have to put all those numbers together, the amount of money that private schools get from the federal government, the amount they get from the state government, and indeed capital and expenditure grants. And on top of that, on top of that, you have parental contributions. So in terms of the money saved, um, we don't mention it here on the DOGS program because there is no money saved. Separate to that, there's money expended on a lot of children who come through a poorly funded state school system with very few literacy and numeracy schools who require further support from the government as they go through their lives. Now, how can this happen? It happens for a very simple reason. And the very simple reason is, in New South Wales, and in Victoria in particular, the state government has said, for every dollar we give to a child in a state school, we are going to give 25 cents to a child in a private school. Whether the child in the private school needs it or not 
independent of need, independent of anything, it just automatically goes into the account of either the Catholic Education Office or the school that's involved, usually registered with Independent Schools Australia. And you go, well, that's 25 cents, that's cheaper. That's not including. What I'm talking about here, the school receives federal government funding, capital expenditure funding, as well as parental contributions. Put those all together and you see very quickly this isn't saving anyone any money. And it is, as our friend from Xavier, <laughs> we've reported on earlier, um, is bearing fruit. It's bearing fruit in Australia in a very sort of strange way is creating its own class system based not upon anything other <laughs> And the income of your parents, not their intelligence, certainly. Um, and, um, and sort of strange kind of what I would call the sort of postcode squatocracy in the major cities around Australia. But that seems to be what's happening. Um, and that is a response. And I hope it's a fulsome one to our, our interested and concerned listener um, who wanted to point out that this is not something we mention um, on our dogs program. Uh, We don't mention that private schools save the nation money because, in our opinion, and it's not just an opinion, our research judgment, this is not, in fact, the case. Although, intuitively, um, our our listener who's who's, who's asked that question, intuitively you would actually expect that to be the case. But once you add up all the money... um, it's not really the case. And by the way, I'm not even adding the fact that if you have a religious institution that sets up a school, um, you're not paying rates. You're not paying taxes because you're a religious institution and you are by definition a charitable institution and therefore have all the exemptions and you, you do not contribute to the taxation pool in the way that any other particular school would do. So I'm not even including that. I'm not even including the money they get in terms of taxation-free benefits from the various bequests that certainly the larger schools have. I mean, often this information, by the way, is not often, always this information in the Australian educational environment is not available. It's commercial incompetence. I'm not allowed to know how much money Xavier has in its bank account, even though, for Xavier in particular, I, as a taxpayer, am one not the people that are contributing the $3.2 million, which go from the taxpayer's purse to that school to fund these children in their education. Why do they get that money at Xavier? Because they have to. (laughs) Because we're in the process, I'm sad to say, of creating a strange sort of squatocracy in Australia through our education system. But... I think you'll find from the information we presented in this program, um, the Overton window, the window of possibilities in Australian education is shifting. It's not shifting slowly because the idiocy of what's going on in the Australian education system is bearing quite bitter fruit. And when I say bearing quite bitter fruit, I mean something very specific. And it's, it's come to the attention... In, in, all, in all sorts of serious ways, it's come to the attention of the Australian public that one in four students in the Australian education system is not actually finishing their VCE. They're not finishing their HSC. They're not getting all the way through. This isn't one in, you know, one in 20 or one in 100. No, this is one in four. A quarter of the children in Australia are dropping out of the education system because it's not providing a useful and efficient need these students. It's not providing for their needs. And um, apart from that, Australia as a country is falling behind in the international competitive rankings in a quite substantial way. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're falling behind for one very, very simple reason. And it's well, actually two, I'd say. One, not enough money being allocated by taxpayers to the education of the children in a, 
in, in, in any way. And the second is the money is being wasted. The money is being not being spent. And I'm going to use this word equitably. But I'd just like to finish because often we have listeners call in and, and comment, what I'm talking about is a state school system which, will, which is, at the moment, the gold standard of education in Australia. Private school systems and their values create all sorts of strange little internal marketplaces of values and monies and jobs and ideas, but a state school system is the only place where you're going to find out how life is really lived. And a state school system is the only place where you're actually going to be truly successful, not just for yourself but your children going forward. Because if you're not fair about the way the world goes, and I tell you what, you go to a state school, you work out what fair is real quick, um, then you have all sorts of problems going into the future, whether you have money or not. But you've been listening to The Dogs Program here on 3CR 855 on the AM dial. It's been wonderful to have your company. It's been Dale and myself in the studio. Jean will be returning next week to give you her dulcet tones and quite well-informed views, I would say, about educational issues in Australia. But until then, from Dale and myself, it's bye for now. I saw Joe here last night, alive as you and me. Says I, but Joe, you're ten years dead. I never died, says he. I never died, says he. In Salt Lake City, Joe says I. I'm standing by my bed They framed you on a murder charge Says Joe, but I'm dead Says Joe, but I'm dead The copper bosses killed you, Joe They shot you, Joe, says I Takes more than guns to kill a man, says Joe, I didn't die, says Joe, I didn't die. And standing there as big as life, and smiling with his eyes, says Joe, what they can never kill. Went on to organize, went on to organize. From San Diego up to Maine, in every mine and mill, where workers strike and organize, it's there you find your i mm-hmm.